You're listening to an excerpt from The Case for United Prayer, a compilation of works by Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Richard Cross. The chapter you are about to hear provides a detailed account of the Third Great Awakening that began in New York City in 1857 and spread throughout the world. Chapter 8. Features of the Work The character of the work was as remarkable as its inception and extent. It had its peculiarities in feature as well as in power. It lacked almost everything that made up the leading features of the revivals of 30 and 32. There was no revival preaching. There were no revivalists, no revival machinery such as was common to those days. The anxious seat and the labor of peregrinating revival makers were all unknown. In former times, a revival, even in New England, set in motion much that was stirring, and to many minds, very objectionable. Now there was nothing of the kind. There was no unrestrained excitement, no exuberant and intemperate zeal. There was nothing which required an effort to keep it up under the common idea that excitement was essential to the revival, and part and parcel of the same. The high-wrought feeling of 32, which not unfrequently took forms which many could not but condemn, now is nowhere seen. This present revival is ever treated with respect, even by those who have no sympathetic interest in it. Opposition is disarmed, ridicule is not attempted, and if it be, it is soon rebuked and abandoned for very shame. There is no offense to good taste, nothing reprehensible in view of just propriety in this revival. This adds to its elements of power. Enthusiasm That there is enthusiasm, a well-regulated and joyful enthusiasm, we use the word in the best sense, we are most happy to admit No right mind can contemplate great changes and great events for good without enthusiasm. There is much of the moral sublime in this religious movement when contemplated as confined to a single community, but contemplated as spreading over this great republic from Vermont to Florida and from Maine to California, why should not enthusiasm be aroused? What mighty results are to be realized in the bearings of this work on the social, the political, the religious character of this nation? No human mind can compute them. No mind can think of them without being impressed with their overwhelming importance. As a nation, we were becoming rapidly demoralized by our worldliness, our ambition, our vanity, and our vices. The true, the great end for which, we believe, this nation was raised up, was being lost sight of. The very foundations were moving. We needed this great awakening to bring us to our senses, to rouse up the national conscience, to arrest the national decay, and bring us back to a high tone of moral health. Nothing but the influence of a deep and all-pervading earnest piety can save this from the fate of all past republics. The tide of corruption must be rolled backward. This was felt, everywhere felt. The place of prayer was the place to get the help we needed. Men rushed to the place of prayer with high resolves 
and with weighty demands to ask great things of God. And men rejoiced with unbounded joy when they saw what God was doing. Why should not a holy enthusiasm be enkindled? It was kindled, and God be praised. Unity Another and one of the most deeply interesting characteristics of this revival has been its Catholicity or its unity. From its inception, this has been one of its distinguishing features. Unlike all former revivals, has it been in this respect. In the old Dutch church, the revival began, but not in that communion only or among the membership of that church only. The old North Dutch church will ever be regarded as a sacred spot on account of its being the birthplace of these prayer meetings. But in that upper lecture room, at that first noonday prayer meeting, when only six were present, there were several denominations represented. This noble church had been mercifully preserved for this very purpose, it may be, not the headquarters of a lawless band of British soldiery, as it once was, but the headquarters of the first noonday prayer meeting ever organized, made up of Christians of different branches of the Church of Christ. The Union Prayer Meeting became at once a feature as well as a fixture of this venerable and noble church edifice, and the Union Prayer Meeting has been a feature all the country over. We have sometimes thought that God had a design in keeping this one denomination from being mixed up in the questions, controversies, and divisions of the day. The Reformed Dutch Church, as a denomination, is distinguished for purity and soundness of doctrine above suspicion and above reproach. We do not know as the Catholicity of this glorious work could have been inaugurated in connection with any other denomination of Christians without exciting distrust or jealousy or opposition. All were friendly to this peculiar church. The Union Prayer Meeting is now a type. It represents what has never been so well represented before in modern days, that among all Christians there are elements of coalescence and harmony that there is a union deeper down in which underlies all external unions. Otherwise, the union prayer would be a misnomer, a name without a meaning. But now, the name only suggests a meaning which fills all hearts with joy and gladness. The reality of this union is proved from the fact that in all our large towns and cities, the numbers attending upon the Union Prayer Meeting far surpassed the numbers attending any one church or the same place. So it has been in New York, so it has been in Philadelphia, and all our large cities, thus proving that it is really what it professes to be, a Union Meeting. Thousands go without ever raising the question whom they are to meet or to what church organization do they belong. Neither do they care. Layman Another feature of this work is that it has been conducted by laymen. It began with them. It continues with them. Clergymen share in the conduct, but no more than laymen, and as much as if they were laymen. They are often seen in these assemblies, but they assume no control. They voluntarily take their seats, mingle with the audience, and are in no way distinguishable from others, except it may be by something peculiar in their apparel or manners. 
They more often sit silent through the meeting than otherwise. Clergymen come to the place precisely for the same reason that others do, because it is the place of prayer. They say and feel as others say and feel. It is good for me to draw near to God. This lay conduct of the union prayer has been eminently successful and very conducive to its Catholic spirit. We think we can see a wisdom above measure in so ordaining that this work should commence among laymen and for the progress of which they should be so extensively enlisted. It has revealed a power which the church did not know it had within itself, a power which has been dead or latent and which even to the present hour is but little understood. In all former revivals, a few, not the many, have done all the labor and felt all the responsibility of the occasion. The minister would be weighed down under the burden of new cares which would come upon him, and he would struggle manfully to discharge all his duties. A few would be ready and willing to share with him the labors and responsibilities of the work. The great mass of Christians would stand still and see the salvation of God, not from obedience to the command, but from absolute inertia and want of life. Christians have felt what they have been made to feel, this and no more. They have not felt the obligation to stir themselves up to take hold on God. In all former revivals, the hidden, aggregated power of a thoroughly awakened laity was not known. In this, it has been more developed and manifested than ever before, and even now is only beginning to be fully understood. God has been working in such a way as to show more than ever the power of the church, not of the ministry only, but of the church And he has done this in a way to arouse no unholy jealousies in any quarter. Never before in these latter days have ministers found such abundant help in the church. Never have they preached and labored with such courage and hope. You've been listening to an excerpt from the Case for United Prayer a ministry of sermonaudio.com. The purpose of this book is simply to inspire and invigorate God's people to take up the same mantle in our own generation and to give ourselves continually to prayer. Remembering God's marvelous works in the past enlarges our faith in the place of prayer and gives us bright hope for the future. May God bless this humble attempt.